Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey! We're excited to be back this week after the July 4th weekend. I'm sure all three of us did some some fun stuff, uh, you know, uh, celebrating it or, do you know, uh, kind of honoring it in our own ways. Uh, and we're back with a lot of uh, uh, new stories to cover. And certainly it's an interesting time right now just because uh, films and TV productions have, you know, still are still kind of postponed for right now. And people are having these spikes in coronavirus that theaters aren't opening. There's still entertainment news to talk about. So we're definitely going to cover a lot of it today. Talk a little bit about that Umbrella Academy Season 2 trailer. We're going to talk a, a little bit about the new Lee Winnell news that just broke before we started recording today and also uh, touch on a little bit of the Tron news that jumped. But our main topic is going to be J.K. Rowling and cancel culture. Uh, I am John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host here for The Outlaw Nation. Uh, I am Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And I am Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Teen Wolf, and 911. And look at that new chair, Shannon. Is that your writing chair? What is that chair? This, yeah. So the chair that I had before, besides being not uh, ergonomically not supportive, yeah. um, it had like that faux leather seat. Ooh. And it had started to peel, which I could deal with, but then the the peeling would would it would break off into smaller pieces, and it was just it it looked like uh uh just it was just a mess yeah. on my floor, so I was constantly having to mop, having <laughs> 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 to sweep. What? So I went to I went to Staples. I saw this chair. I nice sat point. down in it, and I was like, oh, I've never had one that had like the the, the head, headrest, the, the headrest, yeah. and. I this has become my new favorite spot in my apartment to sit. He's getting older, Mike. He's getting older yeah, you know, and older. 
So uh, when you were a kid, when you were a kid, you could sit in anything, and now you need a headrest, and you get mad at the pieces falling on the floor. You yell, "Get off my, get off my lawn, you little pieces of faux leather!" I, that ain't I'm, my bad, man. I'm getting older. I got my, I got my Tommy Bahama shirt on. <laughs> I need the sunglasses, putting the feet up, the flip flops with the black socks. Anyway, we're gonna get done to a lot of things uh, today. You know, for those of you who are new uh, watchers or new listeners to the Geek Buddies, thank you very much for taking a chance on us and we're going to entertain you over the next hour and so and some change talking about all a bunch of things uh we usually do the show and for those of you who are returning to the show thank you for supporting the show and continue to su- support the show we appreciate all the tweets and comments and the likes uh, uh going on there on this youtube channel and also on the podcast stream so um w- usually the way the, sh- the show runs for those of you who are new uh we do three geek news items each one of us presents one of the three we discuss it for a little bit and uh then we jump i uh, take a little bit of a break and jump into our main topic and discuss that for the rest of the show. So that's how the show works. Uh, so uh, let's get to it. Who's our Who's got our first uh, Geek News item of the day? Yeah, that would be me. So this just came out today when we were recording, came out on Wednesday yeah. uh, uh, in Deadline that uh, Lee Winnell, who mm. is known for the, you know, starting the Saw franchise, directed The Invisible Man, he is now allegedly in negotiations to direct wow. the Wolfman film from Blumhouse Universal that is going to star Ryan Gosling. So yeah. this mo- the, the news about Ryan Gosling starring in The Wolfman, that came out probably about a month ago, and it was during the midst of all of sort of all of the big news that was happening socially in the world was going on. So it was sort yeah. of a news item that was like, ah, okay. <laughs> that that, movie at, that moment in time, at that moment in time there was some other things to talk about yeah. <laughs> right but then today to find out that uh lee winnell is now in negotiations to direct it it's a really interesting choice i mean thus far lee winnell has a very very high batting average in terms of in terms of his uh, of directing uh the invisible man you know we all know it cost about seven million dollars to make and went on to gross about a hundred, uh, just under $130 million, which that's, yeah. that is a huge return on that investment. And he also has a first look deal with Blumhouse. I think it's kind of a surprising move because you wouldn't think that he would go back to the universal monster well right away. But either way, I think it's a, I think it's an exciting choice. I mean, Lee Winnell apparently is going to be writing the script. Mm-hmm. Um, allegedly, it was based off of a pitch that I guess Ryan Gosling had done where it's going to be modern day and yeah. allegedly has a, a Nightcrawler vibe, uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Oh, um, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not the X, not the X-Man. <laughs> I was like, I was like. He's a German priest? Tell me more. <laughs> Wolfman. Bam! Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is a very exciting this is a ve- this is a very exciting announcement. Like I think all three of us universally really liked The Invisible Man and to know that they're probably going to be giving him more money this time, which he didn't really need the first time. It's yeah. going to be interesting to see what he and Ryan Gosling cook up. What do you guys think? Uh, and I like the idea. I think it's great. Um, I have because I like Lee Winnell. I like Upgrade. I think in, in the Invisible Man right now is my favorite film of the year of all the things I've seen in really? this year. Yeah, it really is my favorite film of the year. Just absolutely enjoy Elizabeth Moss. I think she should totally be nominated. That score should automatically be no, in number one position to get uh, the Oscar for best score of the year uh, from Benjamin Wolfish. I felt that way after I heard the Joker score. You know, I like I knew immediately that should be the Oscar winning score. I feel that way so far about The Invisible Man. I loved Upgrade. Really enjoyed Upgrade. I, you know, and because he, he'd written some of the Saw films, I didn't, and I'm not the biggest fan of that kind of horror. 
I didn't know what to expect from Upgrade. And this, I would put this in the pile with Reservoir Dogs or other films that are first time film, uh, first time films for first time filmmakers that really surprise you and get and get you excited about a filmmaker. So when he came out with Invisible Man and it was even better than Upgrade and more mature, leaps and bounds more mature, kind of like Greta Gerwig when she came out with Little Women, which I felt was way better than Lady Bird. I was just like excited about what's to come. Now, I have a little bit of trepidation here because they made it very clear that they were not going to connect these things or do the Dark Universe again. And this might be kind of a low-key, subtle way that they are trying to connect these pieces. Uh, and Lee, when I was down there for the set visit in Australia, Lee Winnell said it over and over and over again to us. He was not uh, that he's he does not have to connect this film. He doesn't have to connect the you know the, the Invisible Man to any kind of larger universe. But bringing him onto this project now makes it feel like they are still kind of low-key thinking about doing that down the road after they establish this situation. And it makes sense that Lee Winnell initially turned down this offer, and it wasn't until Jason Bloom's wife, uh, who is a producer on the film, got involved and talked him into it. He's doing a treatment based on a 1941 classic. Uh, the classic uh, Lauren Shuker Bloom and Rebecca Angelo will write the script uh, for this one, but he is doing the treatment for it. And basing it on the original uh, film, uh, 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 and I'm uh, sorry, it's an original idea of his own, inspired by the 1941 film with uh, Claude Rains. So this is uh, just interesting because Claude Rains also played the Invisible Man in the original Invisible Man back then too. So it's interesting to see them kind of dancing around with the same kind of properties. And you're right, uh, Shannon. One last thing: seven million dollars, 124 million dollars. He did not want to shoot in Australia because he said that the reason they keep sending me down here is because you can stretch out the American dollar more in Australia than in America, but I like being in America. So I wonder if Bloom will once again send him back down under to shoot the invisible man, uh, to shoot a uh, Wolfman. What are your thoughts, Mike, on this? Uh, yeah, I think it's really cool. Uh, question, when you were down there on set, was he saying he didn't have to connect them or he didn't want to connect them? No, he, he, he said was, he didn't have to. He was told by Universal to not connect them. So he was not okay. uh, under any responsibility to connect this into some larger universe like the money I, and all that stuff was supposed to be. I think that I think that they're in a really good position because I think that I think where the uh, the Universal's dark universe went wrong is that they went in guns blazing like look how smart we are we're already setting everything up and yeah. what he did so great with with Invisible Woman with Invisible Man I keep wanting to say Invisible Woman because of Elizabeth Moss what they what they what they do really well what they did really well with Invisible Man is they took a story that has been told a bunch of times yeah. and they updated it and made it feel modern it was about a woman in an abusive relationship it was about a woman who was continuing to be abused and nobody believed her I mean this was like right on the heels of the me too movement and we should believe women you literally have a movie where no one believes her because her story is so incredulous and it yeah. was great and it felt really of the moment and they took a classic kind of hollywood idea the invisible person and made it feel fresh and new and yeah. so now uh, it makes sense that they would want to bring him back for this because you know to, to shannon's point if this is sort of uh, in the vein of Jake Gyllenhaal's Nightcrawler, whether that means it's uh, talking about the media, talking about fake news, like whatever it could be, yeah. it could also be taking the Wolfman mythology and placing it into something really modern. And if that works, if you get if you get Invisible Man and you nailed that one, as yeah. which he did, and if he nails it with Wolfman, it's like nobody told him he had to connect it. You didn't have right. to sit and have all these meetings where you're going to get eight directors in a room and you're going to like try and come up with this big plan. He's just telling really great stories with really great characters. And if down the line, they're all set in modern day and you can bring them together and you want to great. 
if you don't just keep giving me modern retellings like mm. give me frankenstein give me the creature from the black lagoon give me all of those monster movies that universal yeah. has but rather than worrying about turning them into like the the big summer blockbuster monster avengers mm -hmm. go the blumhouse route make these kind of smaller movies but make them resonant make them smart and that did we just lose john did he just disappear it, so it, guys I, big news <laughs> uh big news Shannon and I have kicked John Roca off of Geek. Sorry, Bites. guys. No. Uh, uh, okay. Computer's well, been really weird lately. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. John well, was so not into your idea, Mike, that he left. And then I get, F this noise. Yeah. No, I for love those what you're you guys, saying. Go ahead. For those of you guys listening, for those of you guys listening, John just disappeared. He just disappeared. He just left us. It's, it's been the happening Outlaws with this channel. computer. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. So yes. I think I think they're in a really great position because I think that uh, I think that they can go either way and mm -hmm. at the end of the day all that really matters is you're making amazing character-driven stories based on these monsters and whether they all stay standalone or you bring them together either one could work but right now you're doing what you're doing yeah yeah i mean yeah shannon uh, real quick i mean the the renfield is up uh for uh for the, they've already announced like two or three other films invisible uh, was it invisible? Oh, the one with Elizabeth Banks is supposed to Invisible Woman, I think, or uh, is supposed to be part of this, and so is uh, uh, Renfield. So they've already announced other projects that they're going for. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they've got them all together in a room, Mike. But I wouldn't be surprised if down the road they do connect this thing, and that's always been the plan from the beginning. They just made it clear to the directors: don't you dare say that these are going to be connected, yeah. because then I people start judging it. I think that the thing, and I, I think where Dark Universe went wrong, and I think yeah. where these feel more right to me is that, <laughs> like the Universal, the Universal monsters, the Universal monsters were always sort of, like they were they did great they they are part of our cinema culture but they were right. never like a big but like they were always kind of like ridiculous and cheesy but also fun and cool yeah. and Dark Universe tried to turn the Universal monster library into like the Avengers like the big mm -hmm. summer blockbuster thing and yeah. these are just kind of keeping them in that realm of like you can have more fun you can take more risks you can it's a lower budget you can do more uh, like a riskier kind of take and yeah. I think that's that's really working well for them and it gives them a huge upside on the box office. So it's a win win yeah. on it's a win creatively and financially. Yeah. And they, they also have a Dracula project in development. They yes. have a, a film from Paul Feig called dark army, which yep. people are speculating that that might be a Van Helsing project. And also, ah, oh, crap. I lost it. Never mind. All right. Well. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I had a thing and it just dropped out of my head. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, they've, like we said, they've got all <laughs> that stuff going on. Uh, so they certainly maybe have plans down the road to somehow make all these uh, things uh, connect. But, I mean, either way, as Michael said, if you just strip it down, just the idea of Lee Winnell doing a Wolfman movie is excitement enough. Whether they connect it or not it should just be more, more of an afterthought or a cherry yeah. on top of the cake. I want to enjoy the cake. So let's uh, bring this on with him, and we'll see what – and him and Gosling apparently have wanted to work together for quite some time. So that uh, could, makes me even more excited about the project when you get two people who really want to work together uh, bringing their A game on both sides of the camera – uh, yeah. To see with uh, to create a fantastic film, so that's and, really and that, important. And that box office, you know, I yeah. don't think that includes VOD. Um, right, but, right. And, and who knows what would have happened? I mean, I think what it made like sixty five million domestically. Yeah. Had had it been in theaters long enough for more people to see it, undoubtedly it would have made it would have made more money. Oh yeah, I think it would have grown. That was exponentially week by week. Yeah. 
that was definitely a movie that had it been out in movie theaters, everyone would have said, you got to go see it. There's mm-hmm. so many like good jump scares. Like, I mean, I like my brother and I watched it in the living room at the beginning of quarantine and I was like screaming on the couch. Like <laughs> it, it definitely had the thing where you'd be like, oh my God, like I want, I want to go back and see it again with you right. uh, and watch you jump. So I think, yeah, it would have been an even bigger hit. So hopefully yeah. Wolfman will be. Yeah, we'll see. All right. What's our second one? Uh, all right. Well, second piece of news. Uh, lots of rumors this week about Disney uh, moving ahead with yet another Tron movie. Uh, looks like <laughs> Tron 3 may be happening. Uh, first rumors that kind of surfaced earlier this week were that Jared Leto was in talks to uh, to kind of be the lead in this new Tron movie. And then uh, today... Uh, uh, Walt Disney Studios president of music and soundtracks, Mitchell Lieb, confirmed that he's in talks with Daft Punk to come back <laughs> and uh, and do the score for the movie. So there was a lot of question about, is this Tron 3 or is this a reboot? Are we leaving everything behind? Mm. Uh, if they're bringing Daft Punk in, it sort of seems like they're leaning towards like, this is their universe for Tron. They're going to stick with it. And that this will be a follow-up. Not necessarily a follow-up uh with the exact characters that were in the movie. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Jared Leto will kind of be playing like potentially a new character within this world of Tron. And some of the characters, whether it be Jeff Bridges uh, or anyone else like may show up or come in to sort of be part of that universe, yeah. but that this story is kind of like going in its kind of own direction. It's not necessarily following up with those characters and where we left them at the end of the last movie. Yeah. Uh, so we were all having a lot of discussion about this and whether Tron three is a good idea, a bad idea. Why does Disney keep, going back to the Tron well. I have my thoughts, but uh, what do you two think? Well, I think much like Pirates, as we discussed last week, I mean, Tron is a rich, it's a rich world that has not been tapped to its fullest potential yet. Mm. Um, I think there's a reason that people were so excited by the prospect of of a sequel. And did the sequel quite deliver? Not on all fronts. We weren't necessarily into Garrett Hedlund's character. I think everyone would say Michael Sheen and Olivia Wilde, they, they were a lot of fun to watch. But also Disney setting up that the the Tron attraction, the Tron ride, which they have in is it Shanghai? Where the Disney Park is Tron, the Tron, or Hong Kong. The Tron light cycles. The Tron light cycles are in Hong Kong, I believe, and yeah. are currently under construction. And I think this really, when you say why Tron 3, the answer really is at the Magic Kingdom in Florida, right behind Space Mountain, they're building some Tron light cycles. Like, Tron <laughs> is definitely here to say. Because from all accounts, and I haven't written it, I've looked at some videos, but the Tron light cycles in, I, yeah, like I said, I think it's Hong Is it Hong Kong or Shanghai? It's, it's Hong Kong, because Universal is going to be in Shanghai. Hmm. Uh, the, the Tron light cycles are, are apparently just a badass ride. Like, you get in the motorcycles, you sort of lean forward, and you go. And uh, I was recently, Florida... I was at the Magic Kingdom like right before the quarantine hit. And you can literally see, you just look at their building. It's huge. Uh, so it's going to be a big thing. So much like the Pirates franchise, uh, in that world of Disney synergy, you want kids to go to the Tron light cycles at the park and then be watching the Tron movies. So I think that is the reason that they're kind of going for it. Yeah. And also like Jared Leto as a lead, he's not really the choice that I think sort of excites the fan base. Mm-hmm. But Every every performer is one movie away from being put back in the spotlight. Mm. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe studio folks have seen Morbius and he turns in a great performance in Morbius. Yeah. I think picking him, it's I mean, it's a very deliberate choice. It's not one that gets me that jazz for a Neutron movie. But, you know, you, you have to have a name. You have to have someone to put on the poster. Um, 
should it be Jared Leto? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, it's an interesting Johnny? thing. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I, you know, I'm a fan of the original. Uh, it's a cult hit. Um, I enjoyed the visuals and the cinematography and the music of Tron Legacy. I will still occasionally watch Tron Legacy because I just forgive some of the mistakes or the story issues or some of the performances and the the uh, ha- uh, the what do they call the uncanny valley of Clue sometimes can be a bit annoying because I think that if you had done that now, I think that would be a completely different looking uh, a character that would feel more realistic, especially on the heels of what we saw with Grand Moff Tarkin. That felt as close as you can get. Yeah. So with a little more technology, I wonder what Clue would have looked like now. You know, uh, I did not like what they did 100% with Jeff Bridges' character, turning him into essentially Lebowski in, in, in the tech world. It was a little weird to see him do that. So, but, but you forgive it all because the visuals of it are incredible. And this is the guy doing Top Gun Maverick who did uh, Joseph, I think Kaczynski's his name. K- he did Kaczynski. Top, yeah, he did Top, Top Gun Maverick in Oblivion. So I think he's got great visuals with the camera. Just the story didn't quite 100% work, but it's still worth it to watch the movie. And I loved Tron Uprising. I will I will defend that animated series to anybody and talk about it all the time. Because, yeah, it was super expensive and the ratings weren't there, but I wish they were because that show was so damn good to enjoy and watch. And if you haven't watched it and you're listening to us and you've been delaying or putting it off, do yourself a favor. Just watch one or two episodes and see if it hooks you and go from there. So... The idea of a Tron 3 does excite me, but I'm with Shannon on this. Jared Leto being a part of it doesn't 100% excite me. I already saw him in the future in Blade Runner 2049. Didn't quite 100% work for me what he did there. So I don't know what version of the of Jared Leto we're going to get. Is it villain or face? I mean, or good guy? What is his part in all this? I, I am excited by what Michael said, that Daft Punk is coming back to do another soundtrack because that was an incredible soundtrack. And I just hope they, to me, it's more important than anything else is the director. Get the right director that will understand the Tron universe and understand how to tell it for those of us who love the film, because uh, uh, love the universe. Because the truth is, and we talked about this on text between ourselves, neither one of these movies blew the doors off the box office. But there is an audience for it, and I think the audience for it forgives the flaws in both of those installments, uh, and b- because they know there's a potential here for something really, really great. And so we want to have the right director and the right writer on board to create that with Tron 3. So hopefully that's also uh, something they're really 100% looking at. Don't hand it to some new guy who hasn't done much or new lady who hasn't done much. Don't to hand it to someone who really understands this the universe and can do it a very incredible, interesting take with it. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that it's, it's a universe unlike anything else we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like for all that, like the first movie was kind of a box office disappointment. People still loved it. And to your point, the universe they build in Tron Legacy is super interesting. The fact right. that like this entire culture and world has developed kind of within the digital universe. Uh, and like, I will disagree with you. I think Jeff Bridges Lebowski-ing all over the place is like one of my favorite things about that. Like, the I was like, it, man, it's the digital frontier, man. You've got to embrace it. I was like, I'm in, Take, I'll do it all day long. But I, so I do think that like the Daft Punk of it all, like the yeah. kind of like clubby nature of it, like it was a really cool universe. And yeah, I think we all agree. The story kind of falls flat, yeah. but I'm into it. And as far as the Leto of it all, like I think Shannon's right. Like we all saw that Morbius trailer and we're like, well, this looks great. Yeah. He's not someone True. who, he's not someone who necessarily like excites you. And he still has a lot of sort of joker stink on him like so not so much his performance i i I, that may or may not be his fault but more like the way he 
handled acted. himself. Yeah. The, movie, the way he handled himself post to that. So he's got a little bit of that. But I mean, I think I think Jared Leto is a really, really good actor. So yeah. if the role is right, if it's good for him, if the story and director are solid, like I will be excited about a Tron 3. Like I'll see that trailer and I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go see that. And then it'll either yeah. uh build the Tron legacy into something, not Tron legacy, the movie, but build the Tron universe into something more than it's been before, or it'll be another fall flat and we'll get a Tron reboot in about like five or 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> nope, nope, nobody wants Tron to succeed more than Disney. Right, exactly. <laughs> very, very true. And it very is true. it is Shanghai Disneyland where the Tron light cycles are. Okay. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I think it's just, it, for so, so many times we've been teased at the possibility of a Tron 3 and, um, there were a lot of people who, after Tron Legacy came out, who wanted to see a third installment, but because the movie didn't do 100% well, uh, Disney kind of was non-committal about it. And I saw as soon as uh, I think it was one of the Disney uh, social media people posted something, the light cycle stuff, people were like, oh, don't mess around with me. Don't mess with my feelings. And I guess now it might be actually happening. And if it is happening, I think there's a strong fan base for it. And if they do a great movie, the fan base can expand. Can be more. There can be more yeah. people that come into the Tron universe. So hopefully, because I'll, I'll clearly there's enough here that people keep coming back to this well, you know. And well, I want yeah. And that original idea that allegedly they had for Tron Three, like that was a cool idea. Who knows yeah. whether this movie is going to do that? But the yeah. idea that they're able that you know these these you know characters are able to come out of the digital world into ours, and then you yeah. have you, you you have that like the version of the Terminator movies that we never got to see, like this great yeah. battle between technology and man. Maybe, I don't know, maybe if they if they are able to knock this out of the park, we get to see that finally. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right, our last geek news item of this particular section of the show is uh, the, um, the Umbrella Academy. Netflix is the Umbrella Academy season two. They dropped their first trailer, uh, full, full-length trailer for the show. Um, it is dropping on Friday, July 31st. All 10 episodes are dropping on that day. So uh, unfortunately, I have a Schmodown match that day, so I probably won't be able to watch any of the episodes. But the next day, which hopefully is a Saturday, I will absolutely just absolutely just watch everything. Just watch all 10 episodes in one day. Because I really loved catching up on it. One of the first things we watched once we had the COVID situation uh, was Umbrella Academy season one. We just ripped through it over two days and really Have enjoyed you not- it. You, you had you seen, not seen it before? Then? No, I'd only seen one episode and had not gone back to finish it. So uh, going back to finish it with uh, Lindley was uh, a lot of fun. Why did I did I tell you guys that I had seen it before or something? No, no I, I just, just I just figured you okay. would have. Yeah, well, I, I saw the first episode and really enjoyed it, but I think it was all in that stink of what was happening uh, at the former place I worked, and I just didn't want to take time to watch it. And so it was, uh, you know, it was after a couple of months of being away from that that I came back to it. And Lily was excited because she just likes talking monkeys, talking chimps. So uh, that's what got her into it. And then we just started watching it and really liked the story, enjoyed the characters, enjoyed the actors in it, uh, and uh, really just kind of loved the world. You know, it's a, it's a show that takes its time, uh, but it's worth it in the end. A lot of the payoffs are worth it. So it's coming back. This trailer, though, I want to. we should get our thoughts on this thing. The trailer looks like a completely different different show uh that really kind of uh goes into the vibe of where they're setting it in the 60s uh and of course they're trying to stop the world from being uh, uh destroyed again um all the different care all the different uh, children are back in different forms it looks like ben's gonna get way more to what's more to do here in this uh second season we don't see too much uh, of uh, of Ellen Page's character of Vanya, we don't see too much of her in the trailer, uh, and then we even get a Calm Fiore sighting at, right at the end, the dad. So certainly a lot of interesting places this seems to be going in the trailer, and I love going back to the '60s. 
I, the Kennedy thing can get a little tired. We've seen it a million times. But, hey, maybe this is for the younger generation. They don't see too much about the Kennedy stuff as much as we have who are a little bit older. So uh, I just uh, I'm excited by it. What did you guys think of the trailer? I thought that trailer was awesome. I yeah. mean, I uh, one of the things I really liked about the first season of the Umbrella Academy, because I read a, a handful of issues of the comic okay. right when it came out, um, but I just love that this is this is the superhero show for someone who doesn't really like the normal superhero show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this it's just so completely different. It's dealing with this, this damaged group of people yeah. and how they're trying to push forward in their lives and to see how they are able to save the world by the end of the first season. But then by doing it, they actually uh, uh, take, take into the world and, and put it in the past. Yeah. Uh, so many of the actors are such a blast to watch. I mean, I really love the guy that plays Klaus, uh, Robert Sheehan. That yeah. moment in the trailer when they find out they've brought the end of the world back when he was like, oh, no, my cult's going to be so mad at me. Yeah. I told him it was going to be in 2019. I'm, I'm super excited to see it. Now, question for Vogel. Is this plot, is this based off of the comic or are they, oh, yeah. of, this is, this I is actually, in the comic now. I, I believe it is, but I don't know. Cause much like you, I read like the first year or so of Umbrella Academy and kind of fell off after that. So I'm actually not a hundred percent sure. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I actually, I'm super stoked for this, uh, you know, kind of to what we were talking about with the universal movies, like, uh, what I love about what I loved about season one is despite the fact that you have like time traveling superheroes powers, all this stuff, like this is really, it was 10 episodes about a broken family. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. really like this, this, these kids that kind of came together and were raised by this asshole father, mm-hmm. uh, that with huge expectations put on them and it fucked them up. And so watching this trailer, it's like we're just taking all these characters. And what I like about setting it in the 60s, kind of to Johnny's point about it being a completely different show, is it's like it's the same show, but totally different locale. So they're all in the 60s. And from based on the trailer, it looks like they've all kind of found somewhere to fit in. Like it seems like, you know, they're all doing their own thing. uh, And then they find out they've got to come together and save the world again. And it just looks like it's going to be like another season that really sort of examines this family and helps build them out. And the fact that... Uh, Sir Hargreaves, the dad comes in at the end of the trailer. It's like, yeah. yeah. And like season one was dealing with the legacy of your dead father who you hated and to go back in time for season two, where now you actually have to deal with dad in real life. Yeah. Before before you've been born. So the dad has no concept that this is coming in the future for himself. Yeah. So I'm super, I'm super stoked about it. It's a super weird show. And kind of to Shannon's point, like, I do love the, you know, we've talked about this before. Like, we're, from a movie genre standpoint, we are living in the era of superheroes. Like, this will be yeah. just like the era of gangster movies, the era of yeah. westerns. Like, this, we are in the superhero era. And, like, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, when they look back on cinema, mm-hmm. our superheroes will be, you know, the, uh, the, the, the cowboys of this era. And we're now at the point where we can not just have the typical superhero movie or TV show, but we can have the atypical. And Umbrella Academy is definitely atypical. It takes the superhero genre. It does unexpected things with it. It's a little bit more screwed up. It's a little bit more uh, messy. And I think that's what's that's what worked about season one. And it looks like we're getting more of that in season two. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's laid out like this. As teased in the video above, season two will find Sir Reginald's children scattered across a three-year period in Dallas, Texas, as a result of number five using his powers to escape from Vanya's 2019 apocalypse. That's also something, not to give too much away about the first season if you haven't seen it, 
that's also something that uh, is an element of this trailer as well. As well, now with some of the siblings having built completely new lives while stuck in the past, they must find a way to reunite, stop Doomsday, and return to the present timeline. Meanwhile, Swedish assassins are also involved uh, because <laughs> it says here because this family doesn't have enough on its plate. But yeah, you've got all the characters coming back, all the children coming back, but three new additions. Yusuf Gatewood from the originals. Uh, is coming in as Raymond, a born leader with smarts and confidence. Marin Ireland from Homeland as fearless Texas mom Sissy. And Ritu, Ari, uh, Ritu Aria from Humans as the unpredictable and mischievous Lila. And we do see those new characters in that trailer too. And I like the way, I like their additions. There's just something about them that's like, oh, cool. Some new electricity in this, uh, in this series. So uh, I'm excited to see how this all comes down. Yeah, and also any any show that can have a character that has a fishbowl for a head with a fish in it, like I'm super on board. Like I, that is weird. I, I was waiting weird. for Megamind. Is that Megamind? Isn't that what David yeah. Cross plays in Megamind? <laughs> oh my god, it is actually. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it it's just such a weird show. And also, like I think that what was great about this trailer is it looks like it's a continuation of like it's such a stylish show. Yeah. Like the way that the show used, the way the show was shot, the way the show used music the way the show did everything, like it was so stylish. It just feels cool. Yeah. Uh, and the trailer definitely felt like it was more of the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, same, and yet it, it looks uh, inventive and different for a second season. So yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, there's our, and that comes out again, 10 episodes all drop on July 31st on Netflix. So you have a few weeks to catch up on season one if you haven't watched it yet. And then, uh, you know, season two. Also, The Boys season two, we did talk about it already last week, but it dropped a new trailer. So you haven't watched that. Michael already had a strong reaction to it before we started. Uh, that is out there for you to enjoy as well. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, John Roca accidentally started a live show that we quickly deleted because we weren't supposed wow. to be live. And in the two wow. minutes, and in the two minutes that it took us to set up another link, I got to watch the boy teaser that just dropped, and it's really, really awesome. Oh, we're gonna bring up people's mistakes now. All right, let's do it. Oh, well, bring out the poll. It's time for the airing of the grievances. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, uh, and then we'll jump into our main topic about cancel culture and J.K. Rowling. We'll be right back right after this. Let's jump into our uh, main topic. Uh, Vogel, please take us away on this one. Absolutely. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about J.K. Rowling in the fa- in the past few weeks uh, with a lot of her transphobic statements that she's been making and a lot of the arguing that she's been doing on Twitter. And so not that we wanted to rehash that yet again, but right. uh, Harper's Magazine uh, released today. It's going to be published in their magazine, but it was published uh, as of Wednesday of this week that was uh, posted online. Yep. Um, a letter signed by more than 150 writers, academics, artists, uh, including J.K. K. Rowling, Salman Rushdie, Margaret Atwood, Gloria Steinem, um, a bunch of different people that was basically uh, say uh, an attack on what they're calling cancel culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they sort of started off by acknowledging the powerful protests for racial and social justice that have been happening uh, that are leading to long overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across the society. And they're saying that's good. Um, however, uh, they're saying that our society right now is kind of uh, they're hit, they're hitting at this panicked damage control right. that is leading to the delivery of hasty and disproportionate punishments instead of considered reforms. The letter criticizes how editors are fired for running controversial pieces. Books are withdrawn for alleged inauthenticity. Journalists are barred from writing on certain topics. Professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class. Uh, more or less like they're attacking cancel culture. And we mm-hmm. thought that this would be something that was important for us to discuss because as geeks, this is something that hits us quite often. Yeah. Um, from the Me Too movement 
into the Black Lives Matter, into where we are today, we are constantly being faced with artists, uh, producers, directors, journalists, writers that we like, that we appreciate, that are part of our geek universe, that are doing things that are causing us to, and we see it all the time. I mean, yeah. it's it's the hashtag is so, Ezra Miller is canceled, Johnny Depp is canceled, JK Rowling is canceled. So the real question is, all of these writers are coming out and saying they don't like this. Now, I will say that since the publishing, a handful of the people who signed this letter uh, have asked for their names to be retracted from it right. because when they saw some of the other people that had signed it, uh, JK Rowling being one of them, they said they didn't want to be associated with this, that they feel like in general, there should be a bigger discussion on how we handle these things, but they didn't want to be associated with those people. So it's a tricky <laughs> issue. Uh, you know, we, we so they canceled their, their canceled their signing. They, to the they, cancel they, canceled, <laughs> they, they canceled their cancellation of cancel culture. Uh, <laughs> Truly you have a dizzying intellect. A, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of debate because right now in our in our culture, in American culture, everywhere from Civil War monument monuments yeah. to Harry Potter to Harvey Weinstein to Louis C.K. to I mean, you can just go down the list to Michael Jordan of uh, Gone with the Wind, which we discussed a few weeks ago. There is this constant debate on how we handle uh, not only our past pieces of art and literature that we liked, but how we handle the people and artists that have created stuff that we love that then become problematic. Like, are we all supposed to hate Harry Potter now? Like, so what do we do with this? Like, uh, what do we like? So I guess like to start off, I mean, I would ask, we've discussed this on specific topics, yeah. but how do we feel about cancel culture in general on the geek buddies? Whew. Um, a lot of questions. Take it. Oh, yeah, well, no, it's a good question because I don't think there's a generalized response. In my opinion, in my world, I don't think a generalized yes or no uh, in this question is effective for how I operate in my world. Are there certain people that should not have a voice because they spew hate and they spew um, uh, uh, getting rid of people? Or they don't spew. They spew division rather than inclusion. Absolutely. Should they be canceled in my world? Absolutely. I got no problem okay. with that. But there are people on the other side who believe the, these politics of division. Uh, and I don't mean politics and politics, but like, you know, uh, about social issues, these politics of division and do believe uh, that uh, what some of these uh, homophobic or transphobic or, or, or misogynistic or racist people say about certain things to do with social issues. And so if you cancel them, those people uh, get upset that you're canceling the voices that could be a counter to uh, what is the predominant feeling about a social issue. I don't, I think healthy debate is important, but I also think if you're going to shoot your mouth off and say something racist or misogynistic or homophobic or transphobic or what have you, you're not free from consequence. You're, you have freedom of speech. You're not free from consequence. And I don't think that's cancel culture. I think that's saying to someone, Hey, you're ruining my brand. You're ruining my company. You're ruining this property. You're ruining this IP. I can't have you be a part of this anymore because that's going to cost us money down the road. Yes, I may. I, I also I disagree with your politics. I disagree with your approach to things. But down the road, also you're going to cost us money. So it's a business decision as much as it's a moral decision overall. So for me, I think it's a case by case basis. I think with the J.K. Rowling, if no one's, no one's silencing J.K. 
JK's got millions upon millions of followers. She's in charge of all those damn uh, uh, lands that are around in all the theme parks. I was a part of it. I know her reach in that land. They started over again after they had started building uh, half of the land because she didn't like the material they were using. That's the kind of power JK has still. So this idea of canceling people who have a reach far beyond the ability to cancel them is ridiculous. It's the smaller people that really have the the uh, uh, really have the a, a gripe here who get canceled immediately and get moved out. You know, so I don't know. like I said to me it's case by case. Uh, but I, I think cancel culture has been around since the caveman days, since one of them tried to do a story that was terrible and no one wanted to hear a story anymore by the campfire. I think cancel culture has been around since the beginning and it's not going anywhere because we have a sliding scale of morality depending on what decade we're in and what generation is in charge of things that uh, um, that accepts or rejects people uh, with a voice. Yeah, yeah. L Lug lost his spot at the fireside chat yeah. after that. After that one story. <laughs> no, I agree with you, John. I mean, uh, freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, like I, I do agree with you specifically about the J.K. Rowling. She has so many people that share her beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. you that she can't get upset at the her opposition voicing their displeasure like that's that is also freedom of speech they're allowed to say hey what you're saying i think is wrong and i think it's jacked up and because of that i am no longer going to support you in this way you can't get upset that you take a stand with something and it affects your pocketbook right that that is that is a part of it now on the other side i do think people are very amped up right now and there is a hair trigger reaction that that some folks can have when they hear uh, a, a, a news story from one source. I mean, it, it almost yeah. happened with Christopher Nolan a couple of weeks ago. Right, Anne, right. Anne Hathaway said, you know, he doesn't allow he doesn't allow chairs because it slows work down. And yeah. right away after that interview came out and a few outlets picked it up, Twitter, Christopher Nolan is canceled. That is ableist bullshit. Yeah. And then it came out afterwards that that's not actually true. He doesn't <laughs> use a seat. But yes. There are chairs on a Christopher Nolan set. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just I think part of it is we've we've been so cooped up and we're 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 tied to our computers, we're tied to our devices right now because yeah. that's kind of the only outlet some people have that it's they're a connection to the outside world. Exactly. In some cases, yeah. Exactly. And so there is a tendency to react on your keyboard before an entire story or before an other side, uh, 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 an opposing side may come out. Yeah. Mike? Well, and I think, and, and look, I think that it, nothing is set in stone in the world that we live in today. I mean, like James Gunn was canceled. Right, right. Uh, James, James Gunn was canceled and then was, they canceled his cancellation. He was brought back on. Um, but, and I think the key difference, and, you know, a lot of people said that that was hypocritical, that why did James Gunn get a pass? But the key difference when you really dig in, I think, you know, look, I, I think it would be great if we lived in the black and white world of superheroes where we had heroes like Captain America who are 100% good and villains like Thanos who are 100% bad. Unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a lot more shades of gray. Yeah. Um, but I think a key, a key indicator in this whole thing that a lot of these people that protest cancel culture don't want to delve into is that James Gunn was canceled. He was taken off of the Guardians franchise because of tweets that he had made. Yeah. He went away. 
he thought he had lost Guardians. He thought he was done. He thought everything was finished. But he went away and like did some self-examination. Mm-hmm. Based on this, I don't know James Gunn personally. Maybe this is all lies. I don't think it was. But based on what he said, if you read what he did when he came back, like he kind of came back and was like, yeah, I did some horrible things. Like I'm looking at the world we live in now and I'm looking at who I was back then and what was going on with me and what I said. And that was bad. And I shouldn't have done it. And I realized, like, I'm a better person now than I was back then. And lo and behold, he gets to do Guardians 3. He's back. Like, we were like, okay, James Gunn, you're good. And I think that where the J.K. Rowlings of the world are, like, really getting caught up in this is that, you know, ultimately, it's their their, their stance is a bit disingenuous uh, because – they they're saying that they're mad that people won't listen to them while at the same time, not listening to what everyone is saying. Mm -hmm. Like JK Rowling has been making transphobic statements for a while. She did the first couple and everyone was like, ah, JK, can you please not like, we really like Harry Potter and we think you're awesome and we'd appreciate it. If maybe you stopped saying all these horrible things about the trans community and she doubled down and did it again. And then she doubled down even harder and then wrote a missive about it. And now is part of this thing saying everyone's trying to cancel me. I'm like, no, they're just asking you to shut up about your homophobic, transphobic issues. Um, And so I think it's like, it is challenging. I think that we, we, I think we as a culture are having a hard time figuring out how to navigate what to do with the world changing so rapidly. And, you know, geek culture, we talk about this with comic books all the time, like, we live in a world where every super, the majority of the superheroes that we like from the thirties and forties are all white dudes. Yeah. True. Um, and that's not to say that they're bad. Um, it's just the world was very different then. And we're trying to balance that out now. And I think that as we try and find that balance, as we try and figure out what to do, we are figuring out what to do with the people that are being, um, that whose views are being left, whose, whose opinions are not, uh, not where the current social climate is. Right, right, and that, that's the danger here. Is because I, I think it's, it's I think it's healthy to have a debate, but I also think playing victim about this doesn't help. This idea of oh, we have to stop cancel culture, blah blah blah. Like I said, no one's stopping J.K. from making her money. She's gonna make her money. The thing is, what you worry about is someone that popular, that well known, that well beloved, uh, pushing her ideas that are transphobic onto her fan base and then becoming a, a touchstone for people who believe in the transphobic approach to life, uh, using her as their like rallying cry, put her on the flag, that kind of, see, we've got someone this popular on our side. We should, you should be listening to us. That's where the danger comes. I don't think they should tell her to shut up. I don't think anybody should shut up because it's, it's just part of the, it's just part of, uh, you know, having a free discourse. I think it's essential but I also don't think it's an issue for someone to be fired off something, somebody to be taken off something, people to stop buying their products or buying their uh, their books or their movies or whatever. I think that's how you vote as a person yourself is by not consuming their media or purchasing their yeah. media and giving them money to let them keep acting nuts. Look, we've seen this all the time where people have a certain point of view. And then, you know, in the past, it used to be if you were too liberal, they shut you up. If you were too much, if you talked about race too much in Hollywood, oh, don't do that. You'll never work in this town again. Don't talk about women issues. You'll never work in this town again. So there was a cancel culture against people who spoke out about uh, mistreatment of people of color in this town, mistreatment of women in this town. You were immediately labeled difficult to work with or troublesome, and then you did not work again or you rarely worked again and had to work your way back up. So uh, these people crying about cancel culture now are just mad because the um, 
the overall predominant opinion of the public has turned against them uh, when they normally would have been uh, supported by the public, or as you said, Mike, ignored the first couple of times they did it because, look, I really love all you did for Harry Potter, so I'm just going to forgive it a couple of times. And it isn't until they keep going that finally you deal with it and make the change. But maybe if right off the bat we aren't so precious about everything and we just – the second someone says something that's really offensive or really crosses the line, the fan base in unison or in mass says, oh, hell no, stop right here. Well, and this is where, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, whether you want to continue, and we talked about this when this first came up, if you want to continue loving Harry Potter, thankfully, most of the cast, uh, yes. you know, Emma Watson, Rupert Grant, uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe all came out uh, sort of against against what J.K. Rowling said. But if you want to still enjoy Harry Potter, you enjoy Harry Potter. Right. Where it becomes an issue for everybody and where it becomes a Hollywood geek issue, uh, Entertainment Weekly had an article this week talking about how uh, Fantastic Beasts in Danger Girl yeah. And we had spoken about this a few weeks ago, but between uh, Johnny Depp kind of being on that verge of being canceled for a while because of everything with Amber Heard, like, you know, like it was like not quite sure where we're at with that, but definitely a lot of things being said that people were not into. Ezra Miller and everything that happened with him and that fan in, was it Iceland? Iceland. Yes. Where was he? Iceland. I, Iceland. And now just, and now J.K. Rowling, Fantastic Beasts might be one of the more problematic franchises. And I think where the real question is, is, is look, the already that second movie was kind of garbage. So it it's was. not, you're going into I, this third I movie, you're like, yeah. you're yeah, it was a garbage movie. So you're already going into this third movie uh, trying, to, trying to overcome that. And now you're overcoming all these social issues. And this is where I think Hollywood really needs to step up and start paying attention to where things are going because like how i don't know how i mean we talked about this i don't know what they're going to do with that movie i don't know what's going to come from that um i think even beyond jk rowling because we've, we've talked a ton about her i think a lot of this is happening you know just like the civil war monuments it's the john i, I think johnny what you said is the most true thing is that for years anybody in this industry who spoke out about mistreatment of women, mistreatment of minorities, uh, representation, whether it be uh, gender identity, uh, trans characters, whatever. Anybody who spoke up about that or said that they needed more of that or wanted to push that uh, those ideas in entertainment were sort of like shut down. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't get ahead. You're problematic. You're this. And now those are the voices that kind of culture is swinging towards and saying, no, there's a point there. Uh, and it's all of the people that are still refusing to accept that. And I think that's where that's like the ultimate issue that we have. I think most of the people on this letter from Harper's are unwilling to accept that their opinion of how people have been treated for so long might be incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing at the end of the day, isn't it? Like, that's the thing that's uh, troublesome overall is like where 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 do you go from here with this, right? How, where's the, what do they call that? The 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 top of the, you know, where, where's the apex of this? Like, where's the, where we cross that line too far and we start to become the things that we didn't want, we didn't like that they were becoming, where we start saying, if you're against us, then you're evil. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where it becomes dangerous because then you don't have discourse anymore. You become a, in your mind, a benevolent dictatorship, you know, which I don't think is... Well, unnecessarily it's something's necessarily bad but we could veer well, into that you know i think that is what the i think the gist of what this letter is saying is yeah. what you said i think what they are saying is 
Uh, and again, I'm not defending it because I don't actually really fully agree with what they're saying. But yeah. yes, what they're saying is what you said, which is we are now getting to the point where the people that are saying this is how you should be looking at the world, whether it be trans issues, Black Lives Matter, women issues, any of these issues, that they're in the letter they are saying that if you don't agree wholeheartedly with Black Lives Matter, with Trans Lives Matter, with Believe Women, with any of these things, that you are now going to get beat down because the liberal, and this gets yeah. right into Trump and his Mount Rushmore speech, but it's the that the leftist liberals yeah. are going to tell you that you can't that you're wrong and that you can't uh exist anymore right and i think that you know i guess that what is happening in politics right now is seeping into uh yeah. media and geek culture as it always does shit yeah yeah it's it, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see one and you know not to get too political i mean what happens after november what happens um, when we eventually come out of this pandemic, because yeah. the world has has changed substantially since March. And yeah. I mean, I certainly understand the point of view of, you know, kind of becoming the thing you have to be careful about becoming the thing that you're that you're against. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, John, I mean, honestly, I I'm kind of on the page on the same page with you in terms of like a benev benevolent dictatorship of like, yeah. like, hey, some folks that just aren't, you know, and yeah, I don't even want to say it. <laughs> it's, it's dangerous to walk down because eventually someone on that side of the fence will take advantage of that situation yep. and and uh, um, embrace power and for and like push even the kind of middle of the road people out of that situation. And then it becomes a situation where even if it's benevolent, it's still a dictatorship. And that's a difficult well, let me ask you to have. Let me ask you guys this. I mean, like, look, when yeah. it comes to J.K. Rowling, when it comes to Louis C.K. or any of these things, I think we're yeah. all generally in agreement that, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, there's they're very problematic. And, you know, whether not some not people that we choose to, like, defend, but right. uh, kind of flipping the argument around a little bit. There's a lot of articles in the past week. Uh, you know, I know that we have all this weekend watched Hamilton on Disney Plus. Yes. Uh, and I believe based on the tweets and the conversations I've had all really enjoyed it. But there's yep. uh, there are people that are writing articles that are saying Hamilton should be canceled because of the way uh, in their mind it erases slavery or it uh, yeah. kind of um, uh, tells a more positive story about our founding fathers without delving into the darker side of that. I don't know that any of the three of us would f necessarily feel like Hamilton should be canceled, but again i would say that like this harper's article kind of says like this is where we're going so how do you guys feel about this idea of canceling hamilton yeah i don't i i, I you know someone who watched it for the first time uh and steve morris and i by the way have a review on the channel so if you want to watch that as well that's a uh, uh you know it's going to be up on the outlaw nation channel you can watch it it's up now it should be up now by the time this show drops um but yeah i said that in the piece i said as much as i enjoyed the show for the most part i had some issues with it but for as much as i enjoyed the show I did have a problem with the fact that they don't address slavery. It's great that you have multiple people of color in the show playing these white uh, forefathers or what have you. But if you don't address the issue of slavery or you use the Sally Hemings thing as a joke, which which really bothered me in 2020, I, I'm left with this feeling of like you missed a golden opportunity to have people of color confronted by other people of color about this horrible practice. And I think there was a real possibility of getting an even deeper dive into this idea of race relations, even within 
existing communities. Uh, you know, that's fascinating to see as well. Reading the Tandy Newton article, uh, what she spoke about how a lot of people in the black community, black acting community, didn't feel she was black enough or didn't like some of the characters she was playing because they felt that it, it, it showed a bad uh, light on a, a black characters uh, in film. One of those being Spike Lee. So it's just that, that I think there was an opportunity here for Hamilton to do that. That being said, do I think it should be canceled? Absolutely not. Because I think there was so much to take from that uh, uh, play about how, or musical rather, about how no matter what color you are, your circumstances don't have to determine your success or your failure or anything. Your circumstances can be similar, white, black, or any other color, uh, and still achieve a lot in the world. So in that way, I think Hamilton certainly succeeded uh, uh, with what it was trying to do. Yeah, agreed. I mean, no, no work of art is perfect. Right. I mean, if I mean, thinking about where we are now, because the uh, Hamilton the musical, I, I don't remember when they started it. I think it came. What was it? 2015, 2016. Sixties when it, it came around. out, but they were working on it for like 2012, 2013, all that. Yeah. Time. So, so, it, so it's art is a work in progress. Um, and if they had, if they had opted to take that on to to address that, I'm sure it it would have made Hamilton even better. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, Hamilton is not a history lesson, right? Like it, it is not a textbook. Um, <laughs> please, it, please don't let it be your history lesson. Yeah, it is. It is. Hamilton is designed as, as a work of art, as entertainment. Um, and you, you, you can watch it and you can learn some things that you may not have known. Like I, I've been meaning to look up, did Hamilton actually aim to the sky with in his duel? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that actually happened. I, what I read is that he, he missed. You missed and hit a tree branch, yeah. Um, yeah, so creative liberties are taken in works of art. If you want to find out what really happened, there are sources that you can go to to find what really happened. Um, in terms of canceling it, no, no, not at all. I mean, I think it's, it, again, it is, it, is, it, is, it is a work of art. And just like I don't think Gone with the Wind should be canceled, I think it should be what they're doing on HBO Max is the absolute right call. It's present it within the context saying, hey, when this is made, this is this is where the world was. And, right. and I think with most with most sort of now controversial works of art, um, I think that's a good way to present it. Like when this came out, this is where the world was. And then have that discussion afterwards. Talk about how the world has changed, how 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 we're able to still take some of these lessons and apply them to today. Yeah. Mike. So, I, yeah, no, I think. A, I think we could do an entire other episode or special episode on debating Hamilton and the ins and the outs of the historical accuracy. So I won't get into that. I, I think you go, you both make really good points, but I also think you can make really good points in that I think that what you guys are hitting on, and I think where this entire Harper's letter and the concept of cancel culture is ridiculous, is that the reality is there no like it's not. I, I think J.K. Rowling uh, had compared it to McCarthyism. Yeah. But McCarthyism was an era where there was a specific person in our government that was coming after people specifically with the weight of the government behind him. Geek culture and culture in general does not have a single person. It's like a many-headed hydra. And I think the Hamilton thing kind of proves the point of there are things, art will always be problematic. There will always be art and there will always be artists that are problematic. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it sort of ends up being a, the the mass decides like with Hamilton, there are people that think it should be canceled. There are people that are, are loving Hamlet, um, Hamlet uh, that are loving Hamilton. And I think that in general, the 
the popularity of Hamilton overcomes the criticisms of Hamilton. Not that those criticisms aren't valid and not that those shouldn't be discussed. I think to John's point, there's definitely a discussion to be had about how Lin-Manuel Miranda handled slavery in Hamilton. It doesn't make what he did any less good. But I think when it comes to this idea of cancel culture, it is the way that it's not that anything ever gets canceled or erased. It's that the way that we view it in history becomes different. It's yeah. that we look at it with a different light. Gone with the Wind isn't going anywhere. It hasn't been deleted. We haven't burned every version of it. We haven't banned it from every streaming service. Uh, but we are definitely deciding that it's maybe time to look at Gone with the Wind in a different light and not say that it's the greatest thing ever made because it is highly problematic. And I think what these people who signed this letter are actually worried about is less being canceled and more their relevancy in pop culture. Right. I think J.K. Rowling isn't getting canceled. She's very rich. She can do whatever he wants. she wants. To Johnny's point, she has sway over the movies. She has sway over... Cursed Child uh, on Broadway. She has sway over the theme parks. What she's worried about is that what she, she was, J.K. Rowling occupied a very high spot in pop culture. She was the author we loved. She defended the things that we thought she should defend. Harry Potter was a progressive story that taught us to be more accepting. And there was all these things that we loved about her. And now she doesn't have that anymore. And it doesn't take away any of the stuff that she did accomplish, but it does mean that going forward, she's not going to get the same attention that she got or a different kind of attention that she's not liking. And I think that's what it boils down to. It's that it's, it's no one's taking a vote. Like we're not all having a meeting on Twitter and saying, Hey, who are we canceling next? But if enough people get upset about something, that's democracy. Like that is just straight up. Like, yeah, you messed up. And maybe instead of getting mad and writing a letter in Harper's, you should actually just listen to what people are telling you because before people got really angry, a thousand different people in a thousand different ways, very politely said, Hey, maybe you should think about this in a different way. Right. Right. And, and, and that's ego, isn't it? The, to achieve, to want to keep that mantle and then be able to say whatever you want. But history is filled with people who initially came out and were successful and beloved by the populace. And then as they get richer and richer and got more and more divorced from the normal person, their views points become crazier and crazier or way more out there or way more offensive and think that they don't see the ramifications or the consequences of their words because they're so insulated. You know, you see that all the time and that could be happening with JK Rowling uh, in this situation as well. And by the way, JK Rowling and Harry Potter, and I know some people might be mad at this has always been problematic. What happened with Cho Chang? That's problematic. There's no effing Latinos in the fucking Wizarding World of Harry Potter that gets highlighted. There's no Latinos even in the fucking Fantastic Beasts. So it's always been problematic because it's always been a white story, a predominantly white story. Yeah, friendship. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. But where's everybody else? Where's the diversity? You have the one token black guy. And, and, and that's it. And so it's a, and that's the frustrating part of this whole situation is that it wasn't a diverse thing. So, by the way, JK's always been problematic. The story has always been problematic. However, that doesn't remove the wonder and the effect and the message and the power of this franchise and of these stories to really move people to open their minds, to be more accepting, to be more loving, to be more forgiving of themselves um, because uh, as these characters go on their journeys of self-discovery uh, and embracing their powers, 
throughout, uh, not just magic wise, but also their powers as human beings. Uh, all of that is there uh, as well. So, you know, it's this is nothing new. There, this has been bubbling below the surface. It's just finally a transphobic thing has finally been the volcano that enough yeah. people were able to notice, you know? But I think, and I think that like for everybody uh, who gets worried about cancel, I mean, it really is. It's like those lines, it's like that lyric in Hamilton. It's like history has its eyes on you. Like, yeah. like I think that ultimately we're living in a time right now where whether you like it or not, it's the same thing that happened when all those comedians, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and a bunch of others, said right. that they weren't going to go do comedy on college campuses because college kids said, like, you, the college kids just weren't funny anymore. They couldn't, they didn't have a sense of humor. And I believe it was Sarah Silverman who came out and said, look, when it comes to these issues, listen to the youth because yeah. they're the ones that are defining everything. Like, they're probably more right than you. They're always going to be more progressive. They are always going to be leaning more towards the future. And I think that we're in that exact same thing throughout geek culture right now, as we are looking at the way that, I mean, you can go down the list, the way that Rose, Tico, and Finn are treated in Star Wars. Yeah. The, the, the minorities and the issues and the problematic things in Harry Potter, uh, you know, stand-up comedy, uh, everything. Like, you can look down the list, and I think as we all, as geeks... Mm -hmm. examine the things, the comic books, the movies, the TV shows, and everything that we grew up loving, yeah. you can point out what's wrong with it, and you can have a discussion about why it was the way it was at that time right. as we are looking towards the type of things that we want to see in the future. Uh, and it doesn't take away that at those time, at the time, those things meant something to you, that there is wonder in them, that there is good in them, that there are positive aspects. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times it was positive aspects for a very specific audience, often white, and left a lot of other people out, whether that be Latinos, people of color, like anything. And so I think um, it sounds like what we're all saying is that cancel culture isn't really canceling anything. It's just looking at things through a new lens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, anything more to add, Shannon? Are you good? No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Just want to give you a chance there. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody for a while. And you know, we'll see what happens with all of this because it is, it does bring up a discussion that we all need to continuously be having this discussion of what is good, what is bad, what is powerful, what is not powerful, what is important, what isn't important, and what is the uh, overall message you want to send with the platform that you have. Is it one of inclusion? Or is it one of division? And those are the things that we as a populace are exploring for ourselves as well. You know, pop culture is this like amoeba-like mass that is constantly changing and moving. And you don't, and just when you think you put your finger on it, three years later, it's completely different. So you just never know. And right now, these are the, those kinds of comments from a number of people are not the comments we want to have in our pop culture because we're seeing the damage that it does on the base level. To people who are uh, who are gay or trans or trans or or what have you, or black or or Latino or people of color or women, we're seeing the power of those uh, uh, statements hurting those people on the base level, on the ground level, and uh, that's what what we overall it feels like this impetus is to change that once and for all. And I hope it keeps going. I hope it keeps going, and we'll see. Yeah in the end what happens so all right well that's this episode of the geek buddies can't thank you all enough for downloading this on the podcast stream or for hitting play on youtube and giving us a view uh on this episode we've all we've been loving the comments lately really enjoying how much you guys are enjoying what we're putting out so thank you so much for that shannon what do we have to tell them yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you'd like to follow mr vogel it's at mk2 and if you'd like to follow mr roca it's at the roca says i like it um, look we do not want you to cancel us 
We're really happy to be here. Uh, we're really like, uh, we're really, we're really appreciative that you haven't canceled us thus far. Uh, we like, you like what we've been saying, uh, and we want to continue it. And the way that you guys can help us do that is super easy. Uh, all you have to do is, uh, you know, click the like button below, leave us some comments, uh, share this link on Twitter, share it on Facebook. If you're listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or iTunes or wherever uh, you're listening to this podcast, uh, give us a rating, give us some comments. The more that you do it, the higher up we go in the rankings and the more people join the conversation. And as we have seen countless times in the past few weeks, the best, best, best thing you can do is tell your other geeky friends to check us out. More yeah. so than liking something or leaving a comment, the, the number of people that we've seen come in uh, on the comments below, on the YouTube channel, on on Twitter, on everywhere else, saying that a friend kind of recommended us uh, and that you guys checked us out and you guys really liked us. Uh, we love seeing that. We love hearing it. And we want you guys to keep doing it. So thank yeah. you so much for doing it. And uh, hey, keep up the good work. There you go. And please don't forget to subscribe to the channel down below, the Outlaw Nation channel, uh, for all the other content that we do on here. You know, the Geek Buddies is one of the uh, one of the shows we do on here. Uh, there's other stuff as well. So please don't forget to do that. Uh, follow everybody at their social media. I think that's it for us. And we'll talk to you next week uh, with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.